Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business, Asia Pacific's leading sustainability publication. On today's show, we're going to talk about growing coffee and how technology, information sharing, and collaboration can fight deforestation in Indonesia, the world's fourth largest coffee growing country. Global food and agribusiness firm Olam and environmental group Wildlife Conservation Society have formed an alliance to reduce the impact of coffee production in the Bukit Barisan Selitan National Park in South Sumatra. One of Sumatra's last stands of lowland forest and home to critically endangered Sumatran tigers and elephants, one-tenth of the national park has been converted into coffee farms. On today's show, to talk about how an NGO and a food company are working together to protect the national park while improving the livelihoods of coffee farmers, Maureen McLeish, the Vice President of Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability at Olam, and Leonie Lawrence, Technical Advisor, Sustainable Landscapes at Wildlife Conservation Society. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. So thanks very much for being on the show. Um, The first question I'd like to ask is about the nature of the coffee industry, which according to data I've seen is growing at about 5% every year. Leone, surely some deforestation and encroachment in forests for an industry growing that quickly in a country like Indonesia is inevitable? Yeah, it's certainly a challenge, but at the moment yields in Indonesia in most areas are so low that there's real scope to support improvements in productivity without actually expanding into new areas. So average yields are only about half a tonne a hectare in Indonesia, mostly because farmers face challenges like aging trees and a lack of access to inputs. Um, But in other countries like Vietnam, they're around a tonne a hectare and even can reach up to two tonnes. So with some support to farmers, yields can dramatically increase in Indonesia without the need to expand into forest areas. And yeah, so Murray, you're obviously a, uh, at a company that's big in the coffee sector. How do you see the, the scale of the issue? Yeah, we're big in the coffee sector. We're in 20 countries in coffee around the world. Um, a growing industry is an opportunity, um, it, it, globally and, and, and in Indonesia. Um, it means that farmers are still interested in growing coffee. There's a market. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to assist uh, and, and improve the way things are happening. So, as Leone said, uh, productivity is, is the issue. Um, a lot of farmers are expanding the land that they farm because they want to grow more. But if we can help them to grow more on the land they're already using, mm-hmm. so increasing productivity, then we, have, we can create a win-win and reduce pressure on natural areas and, and national parks. Mm. So you guys are involved in a really interesting project. Uh, Leone, I'd like you to uh, describe, uh, tell us a bit about the Bukit uh, Barisan Salitan Sustainable Commodities Partnership, which slips uh, nicely off yeah. the tongue. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit about that and how it works. Yeah. And then perhaps, um, Murray, if you could tell us how Olam fits into that. Sure. So um, I'll just call it BBS because it's easier than Bukit Barisan Salitan yeah. every time. Um, so the partnership focus is on BBS National Park, which is a national park in southwest Sumatra, which covers the provinces of Lampung, but also South Sumatra and Bengkulu. It's about 318,000 hectares and contains some of Sumatra's last remaining lowland forest areas. So it's critically important from a kind of carbon and climate perspective, but also from a biodiversity perspective. And is one of the last kind of strongholds for Sumatran tigers and elephants. 
um, but it's highly under threat, mostly from coffee production, also from some other commodities like pepper, but coffee is really the main driver of encroachment in the landscape. Um, so as well as being critical for biodiversity, it sits within this much larger coffee producing region and it's one of the most important, robuster coffee producing areas for Sumatra. Um, and WCS has been working within the National Park for about 30 years and we work very closely with the National Park Authority on things like monitoring and patrols and community engagement. Um, but we've seen coffee throughout that time continue to expand in the park and the forest areas continue to disappear. So the partnership is based on the idea that to protect the park, we obviously need to continue the important work we're doing with the National Park Authority, but also look outside of the park boundaries and reduce encroachment pressures. And specifically that involves working with farmers in these high risk areas around the park boundary to support them to transition to deforestation free coffee production through things like support for improved access to finance, GAP training, um, organisational capacity building. Um, and the partnership brings together companies sourcing from the region and local and national government within that approach so that we can all collectively support that transition and secure the future of the national park. And is the scale and speed of deforestation mm -hmm. in this area as fast as, say, it is with, with palm oil in other parts of Indonesia? It's, it's um, certainly still a major challenge. I mean, from 2000 to 2015, about 26,000 hectares of forest were lost and about 10% of the park is under active coffee production. But it is smallholder production. So it's, it's sort of um, almost like death by a thousand cuts, like smallholders just incrementally expanding their areas, which collectively obviously has a huge impact on the national park. Um, it's much quicker in some areas than others, and that's sort of why we're focusing on some, some, some priority areas in the northern part of the landscape first. Um, but obviously the fact that it's smallholder encroachment means there are kind of more, more people to engage, more farmers to work with, rather than say palm oil in some areas, which is bigger companies. But mm. coffee in Indonesia is 95% smallholders. Mm. Interesting. So Murray, tell us about um, how Olam fits into the BBS project. Sure. Okay. Well, you, you may know that we uh, uh, last year published a living landscape policy, which uh, which, in, in, which sets out our purpose, which is to try and um, uh, create prosperous farmers, thriving communities and regeneration of the living world. So the idea is that we, we want to have a positive impact in the landscapes that we work in. Um, we can really only have impact beyond our own supply chains by working in partnerships. Uh, and so this is a great opportunity to, to join the partnership that WCS have set up to help us uh, use our presence in the landscape to have a, a positive impact. The flip side of that is we uh, we, we know that um, there is deforestation happening in that landscape and that there's a possibility that the coffee that we buy has come from these deforested areas. We, we can't be certain that that is not the case. So um, we, could, we could try to clean up our own supply chain um, and we may be completely successful as that, but the problem would still exist in the landscape. Mm -hmm. Somebody else would buy that coffee, the deforestation would continue. So. In order to turn our landscape policy into action, it's much better for us to join a um, to join a partnership like this. Um, and then, and then, what's our unique contribution? This is this is the part that I'm really excited about. Is that um, WCS need a tool 
or a system to map the farmers that they're working with and deliver good, agri good agricultural practices training to these farmers. Olam has already has such a tool. It's called the Olam Farmer Information System. And so when we started talking, WCS said, how about you lend us use of your tool um, to, to map farmers and to track, the tr track their productivity and the training that they're getting. So that's really a unique contribution is uh, for the first time we're allowing a, an NGO or an outside, a, a non-customer to use our Olam Farmer Information System. And that, how exactly does that platform work? What does it look like? Okay, it's, it's an online uh, platform which allows us to collect data on smallholder farmers. It allows us to map, geospatially map the location of the farm, uh, collect information on, on the farmer's uh, socio-economic socio status, family, education, farming practices, productivity. So it gives us a baseline of exactly where the farmer is and how he's farming. Allows us to then analyse what improvements does the farmer need in, in order to improve his productivity and then we can we can map improvements year by year by doing an annual survey um, and so that so in our first in the first part of this podcast we discussed that the real problem here is productivity so this is a tool to help improve productivity interesting it's a tool to help um, tackle a, a question that's fundamental to this um, scenario it's the what's the best way to convince farmers mm -hmm. that forests are worth protecting um, Leone, rather than opening up more land for cultivation. Yeah, this is a, really at the heart of what we're trying to do with this project. And it's about understanding the specific challenges that are facing these farmers and understanding the drivers of encroachment. Um, more has mentioned productivity. We, we understand that one of the main drivers behind farmers expanding into the park is to have more land to produce, to make more money. Um, and often that's tied to access to finance. So some of these farmers are in kind of cycles of debt with local collectors or tokes as they're called in Indonesia. Um, and to repay these debts, they have to expand their area to grow more coffee and then the problem of encroachment continues. So, so one of the things that we're looking at beyond GAP training and um, training in post-harvest practices is improving farmer access to finance, but linking that to encroachment criteria. Mm. So GAP training? Good agricultural practices oh. training. Um, yeah, so, but there is a strong basis for some of this in some of the areas that we're working in. So some of the villages are already looking at new village legislation that looks at um, kind of regulating community use of forest areas. So there is a strong basis for this already. It's not a kind of blank slate where farmers don't understand the importance of the forest at all. But our role and the partnership's role is to understand kind of what addition, additional incentives and disincentives can then work to make sure that we're not just supporting improvements in productivity without ensuring that that does reduce pressure on the national park. Mm. So one of the founding principles of BBS, mm -hmm. right, I think is really interesting, is collect the idea of collective responsibility. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that a project like this is sort of consensus driven? Uh, who, who's leading it? I and mean, how do you make sure that, that collective mm. responsibility ideal really works? Mm. Well, for this partnership, I think it's really an evolving partnership and an evolving approach, this concept of collective responsibility. So far, it has been WCS leading the partnership, but it is in its very early stages. So we've been talking about the, the challenges facing BBS National Park and the challenges facing the robusta sector with some time with each of the companies sourcing from the landscape, with the government, with the National Park. Um, and our first 
our first thing really was to bring all of those actors together, which was really the first time that had been done across the landscape to reach a common understanding of this challenge and what we could do about it. And now the key next step is obviously turning that joint understanding and joint commitment into action and making sure that each of those stakeholders has a concrete contribution. Um, but it is, it's, it's fundamentally important, as Maury said, you know, each of the companies sourcing from the landscape can't address really their own risks without actively um, addressing deforestation and working at the landscape level, but ensuring that all stakeholders are moving along at the same time and within this partnership is a real challenge. Um, we've set up a BBS coffee roundtable to provide a forum for those stakeholders to continue to engage. So that's been a really critical piece to this, but continued one-on-one -on -one engagement and continued kind of spaces to ensure that each stakeholder's voices continue to be heard is, is essential. Mm. So Murray, how do you see that idea of collective responsibility and where OLAM fits in that and working in a multi-stakeholder partnership? Just add a little bit, I think uh, Leonie's being too uh, modest about the role of WCS in this. I mean, there's been a, a long-term engagement by them and research to understand the nature of the problem, present data to convince everybody that there really is a problem, uh, and, bring, and bring together a number of stakeholders, gov government, national park authorities, our peers and competitors in the coffee industry, some of our customers. Um, and so us joining this partnership gives us an opportunity to to influence and work together these areas and these stakeholders that we might not otherwise mm -hmm. really be able to talk to so easily. By areas, I mean, we, we have no ability or opportunity to work inside the national park, but we're still concerned about what happens there. It can be difficult for us to speak to our competitors for obvious reasons, but through this uh, third party coordinating us, all of us, we, we signed this uh, joint declaration of intent, uh, which, which paves the way forward. Um, and, and so these, these are two areas where, where we can um, sort of reach further than we could if we were just trying to coordinate this on our own. Mm. A follow-up question to that is, what's, what do you see as the most difficult thing about working with NGOs? Obviously, Olam's a big company. You've, you guys have had your, you've been campaigned against by a variety of NGOs about deforestation and other issues. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenge of working with NGOs? It's a slightly cliched uh, answer, but there's, there's, a, there's a difference in culture between the private sector and NGOs, although it, that difference is, is not as big as, uh, as I think people perceive it to be. Um, so, so that's 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 one issue. I mean, how do we how do we get over that? Um, my my history of the history of my career is mostly working in NGOs and, and public sector, so I, I really understand the the uh, the way NGOs work and, and uh, their their incentives and objectives, um, and so bridging that gap is is something I, I can do. Lots of companies are are employing people that used to work for NGOs. A lot of NGOs are, are employing people that used to work for companies. So, you know, that, that gap is, is bigger, is, is smaller than it's perceived to be and, and it's closing. Yes, and, and Leonie, how do you see the, same question for you, how do you see the challenge of working with a big big corporate like Olam? I think that the initial challenges are probably around uh, objectives and scale. So WCS has been working within the National Park for a long time, for about 30 years. and so we are concerned with working at that scale and across the wider landscape, whereas each of the companies that we're working with are at least kind of initially and from the history of this more concerned with individual supply chains and mitigating their own supply chain risks and not necessarily at the landscape level. But that is 
definitely changing and not just in the context of BBS, but in other landscape partnerships across Indonesia and globally. Um, and the fact that we've brought eight companies together under this partnership who are willing to discuss these issues as they concern the landscape and not just their individual supply chain, I think shows that that's changing. So what does success look like for you? For the, what's the end game of yeah. this partnership? Where do you hope to get to? I think the, the ultimate goal is to stop coffee-driven deforestation in the national park and to secure the future of this vital forest landscape. Um, the shorter term goals and the first phase of the partnership, which is the first two years, is around designing the effective systems to address this problem. So what, what do the incentives and monitoring systems look like? How can we effectively engage communities who are farming in these really high risk areas? And how can we ensure that companies are fully supportive of that and are thinking in the long term about how they can continue to support this and integrate these kinds of approaches within to their business models? Same question for you, Mori. What does success look like? Success looks like um, overall 7,000 farmers engaged in the Olam Farmer Information System. 2,000 will be will be uh, handled by WCS and 5,000 by us with uh, assistance from ADB. Um, we will improve the productivity of these farmers. Uh, we'll understand exactly where the coffee is coming from, so it's traceable. Um, we'll be able to buy that and pass it on to our customers with, with this additional attribute uh, attached to it and, and that will, will create a demand in the market mm. for this coffee. It's early days, but any learning so far and do, do you hope that this project could be applied to other commodities? We uh, sat down, uh, our CEO uh, and the WCS CEO sat down last week in New York to discuss this and we, we, we established that, that um, you know in many of the places where WCS work, it's a, it's a remote area, a pristine habitat, but these areas globally tend to be surrounded by smallholder agriculture. And so we decided to look at um, those geographies that we both work in and, and see what the overlap is, because there will be many similar problems uh, which can potentially be addressed by, by this uh, improving productivity mapping farmers approach. Mm. Same question to you, uh, Leonia. It's a model that can be um, transported elsewhere for other other crops, mm. other commodities. Yeah, I think absolutely. This this situation is not unique to BBS, both in Indonesia and globally. You know, whether it's palm oil and smallholders in Gunungunlosa National Park or cocoa smallholders in Lorelindu in in Sulawesi, this problem of smallholder driven encroachment is is very real, and we're not going to be able to protect these vital forest areas, but also support these smallholders to improve their livelihoods unless we actively focus on these high-risk areas and work together with companies and with, with government and communities at the local and national level. Um, so whilst this is being kind of trialled with coffee in mind and focusing on BBS, I think it definitely translates to other areas. Mm. So it could be a model for the future. I mean, obviously, by 2050, whenever it is, there'll be 10 billion uh, mouths to feed on the planet and presumably that a partnership between NGOs and big food companies like this is what we'll need to, to safeguard the future of forests. Yeah, I think so. And to, and to support smallholders, they produce such a high proportion of the world's crops and often 
in the approaches that we've been taking to address deforestation and support sustainable production, they don't start with smallholders in mind. So if you, even with certification and within sectors where it is um, the production bases are majority smallholders, it doesn't always start with how to improve smallholder production and smallholder sustainability. And I think we need to, to flip that and make sure that smallholders are front and centre of these approaches. On smallholders, smallholders often shoulder a lot of the blame mm. for problems like deforestation. Mm. And this year's haze, smallholders have taken a lot of the blame. Do you think that's fair? That's a big question. Um, no, not not really. I think, But I think it would be a mistake to, to generalise. So I think... There's probably a big difference between smallholders that may be linked to particular mills in the in the palm oil sector or particular concessions or sort of outgrowers who are perhaps um, not being supported to not clear land um, by burning, whereas smallholders in the coffee sector, many of the areas that we're working in are really remote and they don't have any access to training and input. So I think. I don't think it's a blame thing. I think it's understanding why smallholders are clearing in, in specific contexts and where that is with a link to a bigger company who is kind of closer by, that provides a real opportunity. But where it's smallholders in more remote areas, we need to work through different um, avenues to support them to, to change their behaviour. But I don't. I think it's a mistake to look at any of this through a blame perspective. Mm. Fair enough. Final question for you, Mari. How do you see the future of NGOs and big companies working together to safeguard the future of forests? Well, I, I, as I said, we, we work often in the same places for, for different reasons, so working together makes sense. Um, a lot of these places, government and governance and government enforcement is, is, is not as good as it could be. and. Um, rather than both of us haranguing the government to improve, which, which may or may not actually happen. I think this approach of jointly improving productivity, improving the lot of farmers um, and saying to the government, we can help to improve the prosperity of, of your farmers uh, is, a, is, a, is a much more positive message to come with. Um, and then at the same time, assisting them to to reforest areas that have been deforested, such as in national parks. And so that's one of the things I would like to see in the longer term in this project is not just uh, stopping encroachment, but actually reforesting areas of the national park. Yeah, because this does seem like a project. You guys are filling a gap where often the, the government is a role that government could have could have done or should be doing. Um, again, similar with the smallholders question, we we shouldn't be trying to find somebody to blame. We should understand we're all in the landscape. We all have a long-term interest of being there, government, uh, NGOs, c companies. Um, and, and that's, you know, really un underpins our, our approach of pros trying to create prosperous farmers, thriving communities, and regeneration of the living world. So we start where we are uh, and we try to improve things. It's a great place to leave it. Thanks very much, guys, for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, the leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. This episode was sponsored by global agribusiness firm Olam International. Tune in to the next episode of the EcoBusiness podcast or follow us on eco-business.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.